This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Welcome to our special SOS Everybody Needs a Bit of Shinsa installment. This is a shout out to all the wine geeks out there. We need some feedback on the Professor's new book, the English version of Jumbo Shrimp Guide to the Origins, Evolution, and Future of the Grapevine. The Italian Wine Podcast is part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp brand, and Mama Jumbo Shrimp is all about breaking down difficult concepts into small, bite-sized pieces. The issue here is that the new book is, well, a bit difficult to chew at this point. So we want to invite wine lovers out there to give us their input and advice to make the final product more reader friendly. So have at it, wine lovers. Don't be shy. Send your comments to info at italianwinepodcast.com. Now on to the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Stevie Kim. This is Italian Wine Podcast. And of course, this is a special, let's say, puntata, special series for everybody needs a bit of scienza without actually Professor Scienza. Instead, we have Richard Hoff. Hoff. A pale imitation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Although you, you are starting to sound like him. So the whole point was, I don't know if you missed our last episode, but we are introducing this new book Professor Scienza has written in his usual how would how would we say it in the usual very geeky fine genetist way and we are trying to translate his expert i think is the word you were looking for okay yes expertise in that area but he sometimes cannot let's say make it relatable to just normal people like us so richard has been doing a great job he's translated the book and now we are reaching out to the community for any suggestions comments that you may have so that we can make this book a little bit better and more readable in a way so today you will finally be reading an excerpt what do you have for us yeah well today i'm just going to read the first section of the of the book of the translation which is the the introduction okay take it away richard okay For our ancestors, understanding the natural world and harnessing its truth was limited by the force of nature's vast and impassive permanence. Now, in modern times, nature once again falls under our gaze, the subject of human interference. Historically, the study of nature has tended to be either religious in scope, nature seen as an expression of divinity, or rational, in which natural phenomena are explained by reason. Our understanding of nature goes back to the ancient Greeks, who based their cosmologies on the distinction between physis, nature, and logos, reason. It finally came to fruition with the scientific and philosophical naturalism of the 17th and 18th centuries. On the one hand, in ancient Greek and Latin culture, the grapevine was represented in the form of the satyr Ampelos. On the other, the wild vine. In considering the origins of wine, it is necessary to take a philosophical approach, allowing us to question the standard ontology and classification of the wine, with the aim of deconstructing the classic dichotomy between Asian and American vines, viewing the traditional methods of description and identification alongside newer cultural and molecular systems of evaluation. While nature is singular, there are many cultures. 
We must go back to the principles of naturalism, a cultural movement that began with Galileo and Newton and which Descartes continued. It was an unprecedented phase in the development of scientific thought, even though the underlying vision that accompanied it led to an excessive simplification of the classification of beings and things. This eventually led to a crisis in the distinction between nature and culture, between wild and cultivated vines, between agar, field, and silva, forest, which in reality should not be so clearly separated. In biological science, progress is the result not so much of individual discoveries, but of the constant development of new concepts and the acceptance of new theories. In short, science needs to constantly change its mind to evolve. Okay, so that was about four minutes. And what part of the book was that coming from? That is from the introduction, so the the opening passages of the book, before he really gets into the, the substance of the science and history of the um, grapevine. But as you heard from that passage, plenty of references to, to ancient mythology and uh, hints about what's to come in the sense of naturalism and biological science. Okay, so Richard, let's, let's have another read. Have you got another bit? Yeah. Okay. Um, so this, this is chapter two, which is called The Classification of Species and Fake Science. The 18th century was a groundbreaking period for our understanding of the field of natural sciences. Buffon, in relation to animals, and Linnaeus, for plants, established some of the fundamental categories for classifying the diversity of living organisms known at the time and created a nomenclature capable of identifying and categorizing all animal and plant species. The history of taxonomy, the science of biological classification, is an extraordinary journey into the diversity of life. It's a journey full of discoveries and twists, which fed the 19th century's understanding of the human race. It also spawned some of the era's most abhorrent ideologies. The notion of superior and inferior races emerged in this period with the publication of an essay on the inequality of human races. This study created a typology based on largely subjective criteria such as beauty of form, physical strength and intelligence, criteria that would subsequently be used by the Nazis to distinguish between Jews and Aryans. The English statistician Francis Galton, inspired by the work of his cousin Charles Darwin, invented the term eugenics. He applied at a social level the belief that natural selection ensures the diversity of species and the survival of the most suitable individuals, starting from the selection of the most desirable human qualities and the elimination of the least desirable. In the 1930s, Eugene Fischer, a member of Hitler's Magic Circle, obtained funds to conduct experiments on the children of mixed race. His ideas underpinned the concept of the pure Aryan race, led to enforced sterilizations and the prohibition of racial interbreeding, and culminated in the anti-Semitic and racist laws of 1935, which prohibited marriages between Jews and those of pure German blood. The pseudo-scientific drift of social Darwinism and eugenics also included the policy of the elimination of less desirables, 
who were identified in concentration camps through blood and tissue sampling and cranial measurements. Fisher invented a pseudoscientific scale to determine the racial origin of his detainees based on the colour of their hair. The purest were those who had blonde hair, the most impure had black hair or shades of red. There are few supporters of such theories today, at least in the scientific community, because human genetic studies have shown that the concept of race based on apparent biological differences is meaningless. In 1976, Luigi Sforza challenged the meaning of race, replacing it with the term population or ethnic group. He argued that while the concept of race has a certain cultural significance, it has no biological basis. The main characteristics that allow us to assign an individual to a particular race are skin colour, hair and body shape, particularly the features of the face. However, the characteristics typical of a certain race are products of genetic adaptation to the environment in which most of the lifespan of that population has existed over tens of thousands of years. Among these environmental conditions, the most important is climate. Furthermore, races are by no means homogeneous. In fact, there is an enormous variation between individuals. In reality, races are populations, a hundred or a thousand times smaller than what we commonly term to be a race. These populations are made up of the descendants of individuals who lived hundreds and thousands of years ago, with occasional genetic mutations accompanied by certain specific defects. A similar analysis to this can be formed on the genus Vitis, the grapevine. Okay, excellent. So that was a little bit of like a taste of what the this book, new book, is about of about racism in in wine, in wine grapes, in vine genetics, if you will. We're still looking for a title. If you if you folks have any ideas, please send them our way. Ping us and let us know. So that is all for today. Again, I'm with Richard. Hoff, is that correct? If I say it a hundred times, maybe I'll get it right. Okay. He is the translator and the editor for this new book that we are doing with Professor Atelier Shensa. And we have kind of come to an impasse and we were talking amongst us and said, why don't we approach the community and see what they have to say, how, how much of interest there is for this type of a book. And more importantly, the, I guess, the language, the style of the book, if it is comprehensible so that it can be embraced by the community. So please reach out to us, reach out to Richard. Richard, what is your email? Good question. It's um, Richard Hoff at just do the work. The work. It. Okay. So, anyways, we'll put it on the uh, on the bio, um, so that you can have that again. So, this is all for today with Richard Hoff, the translator and editor for Professor Shensa's new book coming up soon. And we are looking for any comments or suggestions. Do you have any ask from our audience in general? Anything specific? No, I, I don't think so. Just, I mean, general response to, to what they've heard and, you know, whether, whether it's something that is going to be of, of interest to them. And if it's comprehensible. If it's comprehensible, yeah. That, right. That's probably the, the most important question. Do they, do they understand it? Can they, do they get a, a sense or an idea of where this book is going? Right. So we're looking for help. There you go. We, we've said it. We're very transparent about this. So I'm going to sign off. Richard will be reading um, some more excerpts from the book. 
It's anteprima, if you will. So keep tuned and follow us. And don't forget to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast, wherever you get your pods. But also Mama Jumbo Shrimp, which is the new YouTube channel, and as well as TikTok and Pinterest. So, so follow us. This is a labor of love, as I always say, and we appreciate all of your support. We went from 23,000 listens in 2017 to more than a million last year. In January, we had 200,000 just on SoundCloud. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time. Ciao ragazzi. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin-chin. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.